night. Are you familiar when that um, that song was created? I don't know if you know it, but the, the origin of the, the song Holy Night, Oh Holy Night, was around 1847, a priest, a French priest, really wanted to do something special for his, his service, his Christmas Eve mass, his church, and so he had a friend, he had a poet friend named Placide. Um, I'm probably butchering that name, but in any case, he really wanted this special song, and, and so he, he contacted his friend and said, hey, can you write a special Christmas song for us? Well, Placide thought about it and said, sure, I'll do that, and on the way to Paris, one evening, he wrote down the poem, Oh Holy Night, but of course, he wasn't a, a composer, a mu- musician, he was a poet, so he ended up uh, meeting a guy, a Jewish man, who was able to put a melody, a hymn, to this Christmas song, and that is what they sang on Christmas Eve night in this little church in France. Well, Placide ended up deciding to become a socialist, leave the church and all of that, and this song the church really struggled with because they said, how can we sing this song from somebody who is not about the church? And so this song ends up um, going away from the church and, and really the common folk of that era were the only ones that were singing it. It pretty much kind of fell dead and put, put away until uh, a decade later in 1857, a man named John Sullivan Dwight, he got a hold of the song. And this man, he was, he was an abolitionist in America. He was against slavery. He lived in the North and he learned this hymn, specifically, The Chains Shall He Break. For the slave is our brother, and his name, all oppressions, and in his name all oppression shall cease. He grabbed on to this in the church. He brought it into the church, and and the northern part of the United States started singing this hymn, "O Holy Night." But there's a line in this song that I really want to talk to you about today. It's the line that says, "My soul felt its worth." My soul felt its worth. The birth of Jesus Christ, him coming to this earth, my soul felt its worth. Felt. That, that's, that's an imagery of, of grabbing a hold and not letting go and, and being um, cooped up, not cooped up, but, but brought into the arms of a, of a father. I think about a child when they, they feel the warmth of their, their parent wrapping the arms around them and they, they feel um, an exhale, a sigh of relief, a moment of security. The soul feels that because of what has taken place, that a Savior is born to us this day. It's not the word soul and it's not the word felt that I think about that my mind this week, it has been on this swing set all week long It has been the word worth. That is a heavy, weighty word of value, worth. I think about um, my wife, Liz. And and so we happened to meet in Vienna, Austria. And and I'll tell that story later. But but for me, when it came to the time of our engagement, when it came to the moment of would this person be the the love of my life, the, the wife of my life for the rest of my life, I thought, was it going to be worth it? Was it going to be worth it? Was it going to be worth it to promise love for the rest of my life to her? 
I remember we we drove up to northern Arizona where my parents live and um, in the car I knew that I was going to propose to her at this time and, and I actually had tucked the ring into my pocket she didn't know it um, that the ring was there but she had this sneaking uh, this sneaking suspicion that I was going to propose well I didn't want her to know it. I wanted it to be a surprise. So I actually was kind of a jerk, I feel like. And I just said, are you kidding me? I'm not going to propose. Why would I propose on this trip? And I almost made her cry because of it. I got her so off the scent. And when we got up north, uh, we switched vehicles with my dad. I grabbed onto his truck and, and I put a dozen roses and sparkling cider and some glasses and a um, a blanket all in the back uh, behind her seat. And we drove up to the the peak of this mountain called Mingus Mountain, a gorgeous scene. And at the peak of the mountain, there's this spot where there's a hang glider platform and hang gliders will jump off and it's a cliff base, but you can see this massive valley below. It's gorgeous. And of course, I got on one knee right at sunset and I proposed to her. Was it going to be worth it to propose to this person, this woman that I love? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah, it was worth it. But when you think about it, is it worth it to buy a house? Is it worth it to get a dog or a goldfish or a plant? Is it worth it to change jobs? Like these are questions that constantly come up in our lives. Is it worth it? Is it valuable to me? Is it worth it to have a child? And, and I know Liz and I wrestled with this even when we were dating, when we talked about uh, if we wanted kids, she really thought, man, I don't know if I even want kids in this day and age. This culture is so crazy nuts that do I want to try to raise a kid in this culture? And, and, and at first I was kind of like, no, I don't. And then I thought, man, if we don't raise kids in this culture, then who's going to carry on the cause of Christ? Who's going to present Jesus to future generations? And, and yeah, it's worth it to have a child. But this question rang true to a woman named Sarah. There's a woman named Sarah in the Old Testament of the Bible who contemplated this word of worth for so, so long. And, and, and you got to understand that in society, in Jewish culture, she was a little girl who dreamed of being a mom, and that's what every woman wanted to be in that period of time, a mom. And they saw worth in that, that if they had a child, they were automatically uh, deemed um, better in the class and in the upper class and, and more valued in the class and more valued in the village. But if they didn't have a child, they were considered outcast for the most part. A child determined a woman's status in that village and in that culture and society and she wanted to be a mom well she became a woman and got married and this ache lingered this 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 question lingered was a child worth it to her and she just wanted one kid she i mean two would be a bonus three would be uh all out magnificent but man just one child i just want one child she thought and this pressure, this self-pressure she put upon herself, especially when she hears that her descendants would be as numerous as the stars and the sands at the, the ocean in the, in the sea. That was a weighty, weighty feeling upon her. And she got to the point where she felt worthless. Not worth it, but worthless. And, and that's usually how it goes, isn't it? Uh, others have worth. I don't have worth. Others do. And I'm useless and I'm lame and I'm nothing. Those are the, the thoughts that ring true in our minds when we begin to feel worthless. 
And when our minds go there, there's really two reasons of why it ever goes there and, and where it goes from there. The two reasons of why our minds go there are false beliefs and false theology. False beliefs, false theology. Well, well, false beliefs, we all have them. We all have these, these false beliefs inside of us. In a way, it's like an iceberg where an iceberg, you only see 10% above the water and 90% below the water. Well, the 10%, uh, really the false beliefs in the lives the false beliefs live in the 90%. And we all, we develop them over time from our, our past, our environment, our family, gender, age, culture, race, and so many other places. And they start with the questions under the surface, that, that 90% that start with, am I? Am I smart? Am I talented? Am I qualified? Am I successful? Am I going to be a good parent? Am I a good spouse? Am, am I uh, a good citizen? Am I um, athletic? Uh, am, I, am I the right size? Am I healthy? All of these questions of am I within the beliefs form when we answer the questions, am I? Well, if we say, am I smart? All of a sudden we begin to answer that question in a false belief forms and we say, am I smart? No, I am not smart. I am not loved. I am not healthy. I am not good looking. I am not qualified. I am not successful. I'm not going to be a good parent. I am not going to be rich. I'm not going to be well off. I'm not going to have a good job. And I am turns into I am not. And they form and they solidify and they crystallize in our minds. And Sarah began to have this false belief that she was never going to be a mom. It formed so deeply in her. She acted on that. And besides um, acting upon, like she decided to adopt. She's like, I'm not going to be a mom. That, that's my false belief. That's my identity now. I'm not going to be a mom, so I'm not going to adopt. And it just got actually really weird and, and uh, awkward and didn't work out. But, but she was still feeling worthless. She was worthless. And, and let me show you how worthless she felt. In Genesis 18, Genesis 18, verse 10 through 14, it says this. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Well, what, what is that about? Well, the, the angel of the Lord appeared to Abraham and made a promise to him that not only will he um, be uh, the descendants of the descendant of our Savior, but more importantly, that, that there will be a son, a promised son that will come to him and to Sarah. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance and to the, uh, at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Verse 11, Abraham and Sarah were already very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself. She thought, after I'm worn out and my, my Lord, my master, my husband is old, will I now have this pleasure? Verse 13, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. See, she laughs, and it wasn't the laugh of joy and excitement and fulfillment. No, no, no. It was the laugh of absurdity and, and full of doubt and insecurity. She was like, no, this is not possible. I already have the false belief that I am not going to be a mom. She was never going to be a mom. And, and there was another reason that was kind of clouding her mindset and why she laughs. And the other reason is what I said, because of false theology. Her mind was doubtful and felt worthless, 
And she had false theology in her. Well, what is theology? Theology means the study of Scripture, right? The study of God's Word. But it also literally means the thinking of God. How you think of God is a piece of theology. And what happens in our minds, in Sarah's mind, she had kind of mutated and fused and brought together uh, two definitions. She took the word worth. When you look at the word worth, what other word do we confuse it with? We confuse it with the word worthy. She took these two words, two very distinct words. These are two very different words, and she fused them together. Well, what, what do you know of worthy? Well, look, when I think of worthy, look at Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and verse 23. It says, there's no one righteous. Not even one is righteous, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. That tells me that none of us are worthy. None of us have the merit. None of us have the ability or the stamina or the, the opportunity, um, unless you give yourself to Jesus Christ, right? That, like there's no, there's, there's no worthiness to us. We're not worthy. We are not worthy in the slightest. But what we typically do with false theology, we take the word worthy, which none of us are, and when we see the line, soul felt its worth, which she did, soul felt its worth, we automatically see in our brains the definition of worthy, and then we think, no, no, we're, we're not that way. No, we're not worth it. That's false theology. The soul felt its worth, and we're like, no, we're not worthy. I'm worthless. But, but there's value in worth. The definition of worth is value, that God sees us valuable. We are valuable. Sarah didn't see her, va her value and was at the point of absurdity. She laughed. She doubted. You know, you know one thing I love about God is that when we feel worthless, when we feel inadequate, when we don't feel like we're good enough, I love the fact that God doesn't stop working. In the moments of struggle, God doesn't stop moving. God doesn't stop developing. God sees us and cares about us and is still working in and through us in mighty, mighty ways when we feel worthless. And you have this lady named Sarah. At 90 years old, she became pregnant and bore a son named Isaac. And 90 years old, Abraham was 100 years old. These two old people had a son. The promise was fulfilled. And, and here we come to the part. That, now, here's the, here's the part in Genesis that has been lodged in my brain all week long in my mind and, and has not been able to leave. It's Genesis chapter 22. Now that Isaac's born, I want to talk about worth a little bit more. In Genesis 22, verse 1, it, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, Here, uh, he said, Abraham, Abraham said, yeah, here I am. Verse 2, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. I will show you. Well, I mean, have you ever thought about what? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Like, did Abraham ever have that thought in his mind? Is it worth it to sacrifice my son, my only son? This is one of the few times that I really see Abraham not actually arguing or questioning God. I, you got to know that when you um, when you read the Bible, when Abraham was called to leave his father's house and to go towards the land of Canaan, he actually doesn't really listen right away. 
It takes a couple times for God to get him to go to the land of Canaan. And, and there's other parts in the Bible when, when the angel of the Lord says, hey, we're going to go take out Sodom and Gomorrah because they are so, so wicked. He questions God, well, what if there's a righteous person there? And he asks multiple, multiple times. Abraham is always asking questions, but this is the one of the few times where God says something to him. And it, it's a big deal. It is his only son. It is Isaac. And Abraham doesn't actually question. Is it worth it? Well, what if Abraham didn't do that? Well, Isaac probably wouldn't be the descendant of Jesus Christ. But, but my question here is, whatever God asks you to do, is it worth it? Abraham asked, is asked by God to do something huge, major, Whatever God asks you to do, is it worth it? I've been reading about the narrow gate recently, the narrow and wide gate. Narrow is the gate we need to take. Um, narrow is the path we are called to be on, not the wide gate. And, and is it worth it to go on the narrow path? Is it worth it to go in through the narrow gate where it's isolating and there's few people and it's difficult and it's countercultural and it's difficult and it's hard is it worth it you know the hardest things that have the most value and worth that the hardest things in life have the most value and worth in them have you ever noticed that the hardest hardest things that you have to do have the most value like women would easily say that with childbirth that is a very very difficult thing but it brings value and worth when you experience that child for the first time and beyond. And we don't really teach our kids this anymore. We don't teach perseverance and grit and tenacity. This this pushing through and holding fast and, and fighting and being firm. We do not teach perseverance. People give up so much. It was apparent when I was watching, so I was sick this past week and I was binging The Amazing Race. I've always loved that show, this competition and travel. And when I was sick, and, and these people that, that show up on the show, they're like, oh, it's this fun little fun trip, and we're going to be traveling around Europe for free, and it's so cool, and we can win a million dollars. But as it gets harder, these people have no concept of perseverance. Man, they are quitting left and right. Like this one girl, she had such a difficult time when it came to sculpting something that was already there. The sculpture was there. Uh, she just had to break some plaster off a of, uh, the, the edges of this sculpture, but she wanted to quit immediately after this. And, and yeah, it's difficult, but you have to persevere because it's worth the, the million dollars is worth it. And wh what we've done too, we, the race got easier. We make boot camp for military men and women easier. Why? Because we think, you know what? It's too hard. People can't persevere anymore, so we'll just lower the bar. No, it's dumb to lower the bar because people will never meet you at the bar. <laughs> and what is the struggle is we don't teach perseverance. We teach, you know what? Everybody gets a trophy now. And we've said with cheap, nasty food because we cry if we have to wait too long for quality food. It is hard. When God asks you to do things, it is hard, but you know what? It is worth it. Isaac was the child of promise, the seed of Abraham, and a descendant to the Savior born in a major, uh, manger. Whatever God asks you to do, is it worth it? Which is an important question. Is Christianity worth it? Is it worth it to follow God? To be obedient, to go into that narrow gate, uh, go through the narrow gate and be on the narrow path. Is it worth it? Ultimately, I'm asking you and I and, and everybody, 
Is God worth it? Is he valuable to you? Is he so valuable that the one who comforts you, the one who works for your good, in Romans 8 it says that. In Roman, uh, Matthew 7 it says the one who, uh, who is a dad who gives good gifts, the one who loves you and I so, so, so much and cares and provides more than the birds and the grass. In Matthew 5 it says that. And, and the one who gives me his most precious possession, who is his Holy Spirit, he gives himself to you and I. The one who's making a room for you in heaven in his house. The one who saves you and I. The one who gives us eternal life and doesn't give us destruction. Is he worth it? Is he valuable? Yes, Christianity is worth it. Yes, God is worth it. Yes, 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 God is worth it. He is so valuable and he is so worth it. And he is so, so worth it. So worth it. And you know what he says? He says that you are worth it. You are valuable. In Romans 8, verse 32, he says, He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He didn't spare his son. He gave him his one and only son. There's a parallel here in Genesis 22 with God, with Jesus and Isaac. There's a parallel. Like God says, take your son, your only son. God took his son, his only son, did not spare, but gave him up so that you could be saved, that, that his son was sacrificed. He, his son was the scapegoat, meaning that the sins were put upon him and he was sent out so that you could have eternal life, that you could live in the house of God, that you are so, so worth it. Abraham and Isaac is such a parallel of God and Jesus. Yeah, like look at Romans, uh, not Romans, Genesis 22, verse 6. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. So he took the wood, put it on his son Isaac. Jesus the cross, wood, a tree was put upon Jesus on the way to the mountain. On the way to the mountain, just like Isaac. Verse 8, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Isaac's like, hey, where's the lamb? What, what are we sacrificing, uh, Father? And Abraham's like, you know what? God will provide. God, I love that. God himself will provide the lamb. God himself God himself will provide the perfect, perfect sacrifice who was Jesus Christ. Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told them about, Mount Moriah, Abraham built an altar. Mount Moriah, what's so special about Mount Moriah? That's the area of Jerusalem. That's essentially the mountain that Jesus was sacrificed on the cross for you and I. Um, that's the mountain that he was sacrificed on. So the sacrifice of Isaac was the same mountain that Jesus was sacrificed on. And then verse 14, Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. After the, the Lord God um, sees the faith of Abraham, that Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, the Lord God said, hey, that, hey Abraham, don't, don't sacrifice him. There's a ram in the thicket and that should be your sacrifice. By the way, I love what, the, uh, what it says about the Lord, the, the angel of the Lord in this. Most, uh, whenever you look at an encounter of an angel in the Bible, um, they never dared showed e equal um, level with them and God. 
They never talked about that they were even close to being equal to God. But in this moment, the angel of the Lord um, calls himself God. So essentially, the angel of the Lord that is talking to Abraham and telling him not to sacrifice Isaac is Jesus Christ himself. How powerful is that? And Abraham calls this place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain, the Lord will provide. It will be provided. On this mountain, the Lord will provide. God gave up Jesus Christ. He provided us eternal life, salvation, forgiveness for us on this very mountain because you are worth it. God brought our dear Savior to this earth on that special night in Bethlehem because what? You are worth it. Forget about your job and your body and your health and your finances and anything else you've built to define merit. You are not worthy. I am not worthy. That is what, uh, we can't earn merit. We can't earn worthiness. We can't do that. But God says that you are worth it, that you are valuable enough to give up his son. So here's the challenge I wanna give you. Here's what I hope and, and ask that you do today. Let your soul feel its worth. Think about that line. The soul felt its worth. Exhale, relax, allow Jesus, the one who came as a little baby and was the atonement for you, speak to your heart that you are worth it. Allow the Father to open up his, his arms are open already and, and allow yourself, your soul, your very core being of who you are Go into his arms and let his arms come around you and embrace you with warmth and love and care and kindness and forgiveness and gentleness and mercy and grace and so much more. You know, Jesus is worth following every minute of the day. Have a conversation with him and allow your soul to feel its worth today. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that prayer. I pray that, that we begin to push off the false beliefs that we are uh, worthless. Help us to push away the false theology um, that, um, that we're never going to be worth it. Help us not to get confused with the definition of value. Help us not to do that, Lord. We are not worthy. We're not, but we are worth it. You have told us we are worth it because you gave up your one and only son. You did not spare him, but you gave him up for us all. And I pray that today that everybody that is, is here, everybody that is listening, I pray that they begin to, to feel their worth in your arms and, and see that you desire more from them every single day. And you have so much goodness. We love you, God, and thank you for sending your son, your only son, to be our savior to this earth on this on that special night in Bethlehem to be our Lord and Savior. Thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.